What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Whitetail Edge Podcast, a podcast designed to make you a better whitetail hunter. Now, your host, Ben Rising, and myself, Dylan Gandy. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Whitetail Edge Podcast. This is episode nine, and I'm finally joined back here with Ben Rising, who was our other host that is long forgotten. <laughs> thanks for joining us on your podcast, Ben. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on my own podcast. <laughs> Move up on that mic just a little bit, Ben. There we go. So what's been up, man? Oh, not much. Just uh, basically, does it sound too echoey? I don't think so. Okay. Um, basically, uh, yeah, I mean, just it's been a rough deer season for me. Uh, have been continued to hunt some with no luck. Um, could have shot deer, but just not deer that uh, I hold my standards to, I guess. Um, and I don't want to be that guy that gives in and shoots a buck that, you know, I'm always preaching that, you know, I'm not hunting or I don't want to shoot or whatever. So nothing against anybody that, like I said, this a million times, it's up to anybody to shoot what deer they want. I don't care about that. Um, but for me, I can't, you know, tell people that I manage for five and a half year old deer or that that's what I'm trying to do on our farms that we own and lease and things. Um, and then cave in and shoot a three and a half or, you know, a super four year old on just to have it on film. I'm just not going to do that. Cause I feel like that has done a lot in the TV industry. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I feel like whitetail edge, you know, that's what people expect from me, um, to where there's other shows that they don't expect that. Um, they just expect them to be killing deer and, and that's fine. I mean, that that's what they, that's kind of what they're known for, you know, um, just hunting in general and having a good time and they're hunting and well i think people come to whitetail edge a little bit more for the education side of it which they can use for hunting any deer but when it comes to me myself i don't think they expect to see me shooting three-year-olds um you know not that people would disrespect me for it i don't think um but i just don't want to do that because for one i would not be happy with that deer and i don't feel that's fair to the deer mm -hmm, for um, sure i'm not going to go tap i'm not going to go take the life of a three-year-old buck that's going to be a superstar because down deep I would be very dissatisfied and unhappy with it so I don't feel it's worth shooting that deer just to make another show yeah it would be a little unusual seeing you yeah. sitting behind deer that I sit behind yeah <laughs> well not so much that you've done good I know I'm just playing but I mean yeah it's and, and again it's nothing it's nothing against anybody that may shoot a deer I could care less that's their prerogative mm -hmm. um it's just I've shot so many good deer that it wouldn't do me any good to shoot a deer like that. You know? Yeah, well, mature, not necessarily always the big buck, but a mature buck, that's what, that's what, um... all right, guys, sorry about that. We had a little uh, interruption here. We're actually over in um, Mark Leibarger's uh, jungle over here recording it's kind of like common ground for me and ben to meet here but had someone walk here in the building so we had to interrupt for just a moment here but um just getting back to where we were um where exactly were we oh yeah <laughs> i'm too old to remember those things Dylan. <laughs> no okay. we were just basically talking about the deer and like you know me giving in and not shooting a yeah you know but what i was saying was you know it's nothing against anybody that wants to shoot a deer that I wouldn't shoot. It's nothing like that. It's just, 
I just feel like for the white tail edge people that watch my show, that's not what they expect from me. And so like, I feel like I need to hold true to those, to those standards. Mm -hmm. It puts pressure on me. There's no doubt. Um, you know, and it's been a unsuccessful end of the year season. I mean, I, I'm holding more tags in my pocket this year than I've ever held. I did kill two good deer. You know, I can't complain. I, you know, shot a deer that was 178 and, you know, 161, but, um, both great hunts awesome mm -hmm. you know but when you have a show it's like people really want to see you killing deer yep. you know so trying to figure out how we're going to get creative this year that means less kill episodes less you know which i i worry about that and you know a lot of people tell me hey man people don't care they want to watch and learn from you but it's going to be a process of trying to figure out how many shows we can actually make that people want to watch that I'm not killing the deer in, but yet they can learn something. Mm -hmm. um, Cause really it's like, that's the, you know, the kill or the, the end result is what people want to see. And if you're not putting results at the end of your efforts, then sometimes it's like, well, you must not be that good, yeah. <laughs> you know. So I think you've proved yourself plenty over the years, Ben. I, I think uh, everyone knows that you've got a, a true knack and a gift for for the whitetail. But um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. As a, I mean, you know, for me, I started off as a, as a fan watching, and um, so I, I know I can relate with with our viewers and what they like to watch. And, and you're right, it's stuff that you know people want to learn. And I think you can learn more from failures than you can your successes, no doubt. And watching you like tell the truth here that you know you did struggle this year, I think it's going to help people tenfold. I mean, I think people could possibly learn even more. You know what went wrong? Well, I mean, I'm human. You know, like, and it, and I'm not. So many people think that like we're hunting tied up deer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just not that way. It doesn't matter whether you own your own dirt or you have a lease or you know um it's not automatic yeah it's just not i mean even even though i don't hunt public much anymore myself i mean i used to a lot but i don't so much now but we still get a lot of those comments try doing that on public well i, I get it it's tougher to hunt public ground i know that yeah like you know and honestly, at my age, I don't want to hunt that hard. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to work like that anymore. I mean, I'm 48, and I've been doing this game with a camera since I was 26, I think. 27, mm -hmm. 26, I think. You know, back when we were still using big, giant, <laughs> yeah. um, shoulder-held, you know, cannons with you know cassette tapes that went inside them and re, you know like it was a real deal back then you know you talk about carrying weight to a tree mm -hmm. and doing hanging hunts and all that like you know i've carved my way through this for a long time and you know I, eventually you just don't want to work like that to enjoy the sport you love right and you're trying to get to a certain spot in your life where you don't have to, because I, I never would have thought, honestly, like back in the day when me and Melody were just first married and we had little kids, you know, I was like, how am I ever going to afford land? Yeah. Well, I can relate with that. You know, yeah. you're, you're in that position now, but you're learning. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're seeing, I'm teaching you now how to do it, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, and you, you, you're attentive to that. So you'll be successful, 
I mean, it helps that you have somebody to mentor you. Right. You know, yep. but, um, you know, which I really didn't when it come to the land side. You know, I tried to make my first land deal when I was like, I think I was 19 or 20. You're probably 12. <laughs> <laughs> Riding your tricycle to a, a meeting. <laughs> I was like 19 or 20, I think. And it was a great opportunity. The guy was really actually doing me a favor. But I couldn't come up with the money. I couldn't get anybody in my family to come up with the money. You know, mm-hmm. we just, I couldn't get anybody to, together. And it was like, it was like, uh, I think it was 130 acres for like 60 grand. Oh, man. Back in the day. Now, this was, you know, I'm talking 2000, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. like 2000, I think, you're 98, 99, somewhere in there. And uh, I just couldn't get anybody to support me on it. And obviously, I didn't have enough credit at the bank at that time. I was so young. But um, people just didn't see it. And I'm, like, trying to explain it to them. What the, you know, because I was cutting timber at that time. I knew what the timber value was, mm-hmm. which it wasn't incredible. But there was at least $45,000 worth of timber on it. That would have helped pay that down yeah. easily for sixty grand for the 120 acres yeah and i'm like we could sell a couple lots off for you know a couple five acre lots off you know even for 20 grand 15 20 grand and it's paid for and we got all that land yeah you know to hunt i think that should almost be a podcast podcast in itself i think a lot of people really enjoyed that bobby kendall episode that where we had bobby on and mm-hmm. we were kind of talking land and you know it's um I don't know. It's not always out in the open how a hunter should invest in, in land and, and whatnot. Yeah. So I think Bill, that would. Bill Winky did a really good podcast with a couple of people a few times on like his strategy. And uh, yep. Bill was very creative. Um, Bill's probably, I don't know, like I respect Bill Winky probably as much as anybody in this industry just because he did the same thing. He carved his way from the bottom to the top. And he's very open about how he did it. Mm-hmm. You know, getting partners, getting, which I've done the same, you know, like Dan Lusher, you know, me and Mark Leibarger, you know, um, have bought ground together. Um, that's the only two people I've ever had as a partner mm-hmm. um, on stuff like that. You know, the, the old saying is that partners are only good for two things, right? What's that? Sex and horseshoes. Jeez, <laughs> oh, <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Well, when you think about it, sometimes it's true. Yeah. Because it can get really dicey mm-hmm. if they're not the right kind of people and you don't have the same outlook. But having the right partners can give you a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Bible talks about how two is better than one. So, um, but you just have to be wise in those decisions of who you bring in as a partner. And you have to have a very good exit strategy, like if one of you wants out, how that's going to work. Um, or what your common goals are with the property, you mm-hmm. know? And that's like where me and Mark, you know, Mark's like my brother. I mean, but we have just seen eye to eye our whole life, you know, that we've been together and doing things. And, you know, now that with Novix and, you know, whatnot, um, it's only going to get better. <clears throat> but, you know, me and him owning land together, you know, me and him buying our first 70 is what turned it into what we own in Illinois now. Yep. Um, and we elected to leave Ohio and go to Illinois. I mean, we, we still have land here, but, and so do me and Dan, but um, I just feel like going, we felt like our money would go farther somewhere else compared to what the land prices were doing here. Mm-hmm. And it was a very good move for us at the time, yep. you know. 
Um, and I still think there's a lot of opportunities in other states that it will hit eventually. And, you know, interest rates are high right now, so that's going to make things – there's going to be some deals, I think, hitting the market. You know, it's going to take the land prices down a little bit right now. It's not going to be as hot as what it was. Um, I, You know, Melody, my wife, she does a little bit of real estate, you know, and uh, so she sees a lot of the houses that hits the market first and how long they're on and a lot of price drops, a lot of houses sitting longer than normal. You know, there for a while, it was just nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really was. It was crazy. But, you know, one thing that I said, and even me and Mark had talked about it, was what was going to happen with these land prices was were these people buying these houses for over asking price or getting into bidding wars and markets? It was crazy there for... Yeah, so, like, I always, I just said, you know, well, eventually this will even out. And so what you're going to have is a young couple that stretch themselves to buy this house that they wanted that a year ago or two years ago, this same house on this same five or 10 acres or two acres, three acres, whatever it may be, was worth, say, 250000 And they just spent three hundred and seventy-five or 400 for it because that's the kind of stuff that was going on. Well, how the banks were even appraising them at that point to, for people to get money, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But money was easy to get. Well, now when things shift, these people are going to be in a situation where banks are going to say, well, that's not worth that now. It's not going to assess for that. Or you can't ever sell it for more. You know, so many people are going to be in a tough spot, I yeah. think. And now you're going to see with interest rates at 8%, <clears throat> people aren't going to buy. So do you think like uh, a lot of houses, a lot of land are going to be sold cheaper? Well, in the future, well, so like people smart, are going to be in a tough spot. I mean, smart landowners, people that are like, um, I don't think you're going to see a ton of ground hit the market from people that don't need to sell. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people that are, you know, just have land or maybe an estate or something, and then the state's looking to sell the land because they don't need it no more. That could still happen, but I think smart real estate people probably will hold on for the market to bounce back a little bit. Not that even the market's horrible right now. It's really not. But I think what you're going to see is there's going to be very select buyers. Um, there will be people that bid off some land a year or two, three years ago now that may not be able to hang on to it anymore, mm -hmm. and they may need to sell it. Um, and so then they're going to have to sell, and it's probably not going to bring what they need. Um, but then there's people that made good buys, that could still make good money, mm -hmm. you know, and Mark is, you know, my partner Mark is really good about um, sticking to his guns on like, um, if it doesn't make sense or like, you know, we need to make sure that we're at a certain level here on buying so that we don't, and so is Bobby Kendall, he's super about that. Mm -hmm. Like he has a strategy, he stays there, he sticks there. Um, he doesn't want to, he needs to be at a certain percentage, or otherwise he doesn't do the deal. Yep. You know, because he knows he needs to exit that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's very smart to where, like, some of the land I was buying originally was emotional because I just never had a lot of land. Mm -hmm. And all I cared about was big deer. Yep. And so it was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. want the land because I know this is a good farm. Right. And I get emotionally attached to land. That's just my problem. I do. Mm -hmm. I will admit it. I love land. Um, always have I have a severe appreciation for it and so 
sometimes I don't look at land in a sense of like a money thing of making money on it because I don't I just I don't do this to make a to make money on it yet it's mm-hmm. just not what I'm doing yeah. to where like some people that's all they do they just flip land yep. uh, I'm not into that you know I, me and Mark have only ever sold one piece yeah and because I just I get attached someday we will and mm-hmm. they will they will turn into there's going to be some lucky individuals out there at the time that might be ready to buy and when we're ready to sell and we make it known you hey. know yeah. <laughs> um they will they will be able to have a chance at some incredible dirt that mm. we've just manicured and done you know amazing things with so um you know everybody's perspective changes as they age and you know just like mine has now from the time i was 24 to 48 it's a big deal 20 years ago to now mm-hmm. how i look at things you know um so everybody's goals change you yeah. know i i used to sit there and look at some of the people in my life that were older and i'm like why don't they hunt as much as they used to or i can't believe they're not out doing this or you know to where i used to coon hunt all night get up go to work then i'd come home maybe deer hunt for three hours coon hunt at night fishing turkey and whatever mm-hmm. did it all mm-hmm. you know and still had a girlfriend or whatever now i'm just like this old goat <laughs> you know I, I have ambition you know that yeah. i mean but you I, would still work a lot of 20 year olds under the table <laughs> yeah but i just what i'm getting at though is like my ambition level for the just hunting everything that moves, that's all gone away. It's just shifted. Mm-hmm. My, my focuses have, con- have gone to different things. And I guess, you know, I want to, I feel like I need my life to be a little more um, fruitful in the sense of where people can, just like mentoring you, you know, like watching your walk with God and how you're growing through that. Um, and I feel, I, I like to feel like I'm a part of that. Yeah. I've helped nurture that. No doubt. Um, you know, and I feel like there's more things in life that I could do that way mm-hmm. that mean something, um, you know, in the long term of things, you know. And this season was one of those years where I had a lot of time to think because I made changes at the beginning of the year with, you know, um, shrinking the team down and, you know, removing some people and then, you know, feeling like I need to bring some people back, things like that. Just, you know, I needed time to assess. And, um, you know, just dwell on, because I'll tell you, as you, when you get into things like this, your life can get cluttered with people. And one thing I've really learned is that there's, there's really only a handful of people you'll ever have in your life that truly do want the best for you. Yeah, I agree. You know, or that really do care, that don't have an angle that, you know, and a lot of people think they're doing you favors or that they're being that person. There's always a motive. But they're really not, and they don't see it on their own, or they don't see the, the issues that they may be causing. And I, I'm, I'm guilty of that, too. You know, I can be disrespectful at times or don't not, not be, uh, how do you say it, sensitive enough to maybe what somebody's trying to accomplish and, you know, or, or trying to do. So it's, it's, you can lose sight easy, so sometimes you have to stop, take a breather, assess things, you know, um, and look at things. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of getting off track here of whitetails, but, you know, I still feel like these are all big decisions in your life. And, like, so for me, the whitetail is still very important. You know, my show is super important. Um, And so it bothers you when you have a year like I've had and I've only shot two deer and not 
you know, three or four like I'd like to, to be able to just produce more shows for people that really love our show. So, you know, and I mean, I, it's not that I wasn't putting myself on deer. Some of it was I really didn't have the deer to hunt mm-hmm. that I was willing to try to, to sacrifice for, you know. So let's just, let's just in. hop into Illinois real quick. What happened in Illinois? You, you killed Bill to begin with, but before that you were kind of struggling. So yeah, I guess well, let's I just... Was, I was chasing a deer called Ranger. Yeah. But then once I got... Once I learned more about Ranger and actually laid eyes on him and just, I just was like, this deer is not what I think he was mm-hmm. and he's not as old. And then he broke part of his rack and, but before even he broke the rack, I was like, I'm not hunting him anymore. And I did, I completely backed off. I'm like, I'm passing him. I'm not even going to hunt him. I'm like, I'm just done with it. He's going to be a deer I'm going to chase next year probably. And uh, so far, you know, that's my plan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had other older mature deer on some of the farms that i was going to target but they really weren't doing any kind of specific patterns like to where i felt like okay i can slide in here and get on this and then the other problem that i faced that i was dealing with on our main farm in illinois Hey guys, just a quick word from our partners over at Novix Tree Stands. Novix is made in America for Americans, supporting American jobs and American families. High quality product designed for you. It's mobile, it's quiet, it's light. This isn't a tree stand that you're going to go hang out in the woods and have to replace next year or the year after. This is in fact a tree stand that you can hand down to your children or even your grandchildren. Um, awesome setup. Couldn't be more happier. I feel confident. I feel safe sitting in it. If you guys are interested in checking one out for yourself, you can go to novixoutdoors.com. Check them out on their socials. I had a lot of really good deer that were at this stage of like three and a half, four and a half years old. A lot of the, the effort that we've been putting into some of our dirt is really starting to show. And I also noticed that the neighbor's starting to get a little tighter, things like that. And so I was trying to weigh those decisions and options of like, is it worth me getting super aggressive to where I know I can get on one of these mature eights or whatever in daylight? Is it worth doing that just to create a show and then I'm kick off one of my up and comers, up and comer 10 points or whatever that we're really striving to keep and getting blasted, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a real hard decision for me because some of our pieces aren't real big. And so like, you know, you can really do that, you know? And so like, I'm ultra conservative when it comes to that, you know, I, I just have that kind of style about me of like, I really try to give most of the farm to the deer, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> I have my times I slip in just like Bill, slipped in deep, killed him the first sit. Um, But I'm very calculated when I do those things. And you're taking a chance every time, I feel, when you do that. Um, And I can tell on some of this dirt that every time I step in or step out, I can tell by the cameras when when that's happened because the deer shut down or they know. Like a, a day or two of being hunted, they're they are not used to being encountered. They're not used to encountering you or your tracks or that around the farm, you know, mm-hmm. like some of these places, cause we don't mess with them, you know, to where like some places, like some farms I have in Ohio where I'm, I'm on them more. It's not a biggest deal to those deer, 
they're used to more people there. But some of these parts of Illinois that we have dirt and hunt, those deer don't see people a lot. You know, um, they hear tractors and, you know, things like that, <clears throat> farm equipment, that stuff doesn't bother them. But when they start cutting feet, feet or foot tracks and people sent deep in the timber or in places that they don't ever do, that really starts to set them off. You know, they start paying attention to that. And I just did not want to upset the balance of what I was trying to achieve by trying to just shoot a more mature eight point or something to get it you know on film <clears throat> for the show so that kind of helped I guess that kind of made me apprehensive to dig deep because mm -hmm. there was spots I, I could have moved in and killed a deer probably if I'd have put the time in but I'm like even those deer I was like I don't necessarily know that that's really a management deer like you know they maybe weren't as old as I thought or because, you know, like, I, it's just like this deer that I talk about in Ohio that we've called the old eight forever. Um, I know that deer is eight and a half, nine years old this year. I just know it. I mm -hmm. know that's how old he is. And if you saw the trail picture of that deer and you didn't know the deer, you would think that deer was four and a half years old. Same with my dad's this year. Yeah, every time you would think, that's a four-year-old deer. So... People send me pictures all the time of like, you know, how old do you think this deer is? Well, I, I don't know for sure. I can tell you this is what he looks like to me, but that don't really mean anything mm -hmm. because, you know, I, just, that deer has just taught me so much. He has not changed his body deposition in five, six years. Mm -hmm. You know, once he got past three, four years old, he just looked the same all the time. Yeah. He's a slender deer. He's lanky legged, doesn't have a giant chest, not big shoulders. He's always been an eight point. I mean, he's, he might have like a sticker or a little droop here or there, but he's never been more than really like a, a nine ever. Yeah, um, that, that actually taught me a lot this year, just having a pretty good idea of what dad's um, uh, deer, how old that deer was. Um, just looking at trail cam pictures and seeing him like, dude, if I didn't know any better, like same deal, like I would have never known that deer was that yeah, old. But so you guys had so much history that you knew. So now it's like looking at trail cam pictures, like, man, you really just, you do not know unless you've got the history. So I was kind of glad that happened this year so that, you know, I'm not like spitballing ages here anymore. You know, yeah. I, you, you truly have no idea. I mean, same deal. You would have thought that deer that dad killed this year was four and a half. Mm -hmm. with the with the body it was and he was how old man i thought he was five and a half in 2018 looking at trail cam pictures gotcha maybe you know i can't obviously can't say for sure but he was just super beefy like a, a five and a half six-year-old would be um doubt he was six but, but you've had pictures of him at least since 18 right yeah yep. so and here it is 22 mm -hmm. you know so four years of you know yeah pictures Yep. With, with that kind of a rack or bigger was this the biggest rack he's ever had um you know i'm not sure because um he had permission on a piece um on on the piece where we were getting the original pictures in 18 um and i think 17 we might have had him not 100 percent sure if it was him but I believe he had an injury that kind of messed his rack up so mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to identify but um lost permission on that place it actually sold so 19 20 21 no pictures because we weren't hunting there dad gained access to a piece down the road and lo and behold he shows up so that was kind of and you know it was no denying that it was him with the brow tying he was blind in one eye i mean it was pretty yeah the, the it was blind pretty, eye is an easy yeah it was pretty evident so 
but uh, we did have some some neighbors send some pictures that were chasing that deer. Oddly enough, you know, they reached out and it's such a small world when it comes to deer. Even my brother's deer, we had p- people yeah. sending pictures of that deer. Well, that's why, that's where this, <clears throat> like, you know, reading the comments that people were making on your dad's deer about um, being in a pen or, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, they said, we see the fence in the background. Well, they don't know. Like, we, dad killed the deer. We took pictures at my dad's house where he's yeah. got horses. Yeah, I know. That's like a four-foot fence, man. Come on. Yeah, I know. That's just, but that's what I'm saying. So here you got people with other other deer or other people with pictures of this same deer in the wild. Mm-hmm. You know, so like it's just uh, it is that common jealousy thing that social media creates with hunters for yeah. some reason, and I I do not understand where that comes from with deer antlers, dude. Like yeah. I I do not understand it. It's literally like people get more upset over hunting and somebody killing a nice deer or that there's no way that guy did that how do you know Mm -hmm. like what where does that even come from yeah our real enemy is out there and yeah like (laughs) it's just so dumb but i mean it's always a public private debate you couldn't do it on public well there's a million debates and i you know i've spoke my opinion on things and maybe i shouldn't have and you know, so like I've just kind of learned that you know what we're all hunters. Let's just leave it that way. Support each other. Yep. Move on. Yep. And um, you know, because there are people out there that are trying to take everything from us, and you know the the whole sport of hunting and your weapons and your rights. And so we really just need to be more supportive of each other. And it's like, I guess I don't understand. Like if somebody's looking at that post and they don't like it. Or they think that the guy shot the deer in a pen. So what? Yeah. You don't have to say it. Right. You can think it in your head. Oh, mm-hmm. that guy shot that deer in a pen. Yep. And move on. I agree. Know? But really what I think it is is they're just pissed because they didn't shoot anything that year or they've never shot a deer like that. So they have to make some kind of comment to make themselves feel better. Yeah. One thing like, you know, since my hunting has evolved and my strategies and goals have evolved and it requires you know knocking on more doors calling more people and it's like just so funny to me like those people that they can't fathom that it can still be done that it you can kill big deer like that Mm -hmm. so but they're like the same people that will sit in the same exact tree stand 40 days in a row cry and complain but yet won't get off their butt and go knock on a door won't take the won't be afraid to be told no or they're afraid to be told no or get embarrassed or whatever to where like dude you've like made the walk of shame back to your truck more than anybody in this that i know yeah and it doesn't hurt that doesn't bad. hurt that bad <laughs> it's just like me being a timber buyer yeah I mean, i've literally had people tell me to get the f off their porch mm-hmm. you know don't ever come back don't you know here do you want a card no yeah take your freaking cards <laughs> with you <laughs> if anything it makes it makes great stories and it gives people yeah. for you to pray for yeah so so then like as you walk off their porch you just like set it on the railing yeah. and they're like take your damn card <laughs> like well you never know you might need it i won't yeah <laughs> yeah but um since covid i will say the door knocking has got a lot less Mm-hmm. because people just are weird about you showing up at their place yeah you know but well i mean geez people are just absolutely crazy these days you, oh yeah you never 100%. know what the heck can, yeah, that's right. can happen so but i mean i will say like i've seen you with that ambition that i had when i was younger and 
I'd, I, that I would stop at no cost to try to get permission somewhere. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I would drive two hours to knock on a door if I thought there was a big deer there. Yeah. I just would. And I would find a way one way or another to get in there um, legally, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of access. And, and there's a lot of people out there still doing that. I mean, there's, there's a lot. But it just seems like some of the negative comments that people like you receive or, you know, we do or whatever, it's just it's typically people that just are lazy. Yeah. And they don't feel good about themselves, so they want to make those comments to take, to drag somebody else down, and that's just part of it, I guess. You know, so it's really not even worth that much spending a lot of time on. But no, um, you know, moving forward, you know, but you know, going back to, so like, I had another deer in Kentucky. Um, I could have got back on that deer, and I've elected to let that deer live too because mm-hmm. I feel like he's a four-year-old. Yep. So I'm hoping that that deer is going to be awesome. Do you have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? Yeah. Do you know Do you know any of the characters' names? Because whoever the guy is that dodged bullets, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, maybe we should name that deer Keanu (laughs) because (laughs) because I missed him. Yeah, you did take a shot on that deer, and um, maybe it worked. You know. Yeah. Well, that's what I was was like. Because you know, when you watch the footage, you're like, "How did I miss that?" It looks like it goes right through him. Yeah, but he really just he just jumps the string so bad and ducks down. It was insane craziness. But um, he's still there. There he was as of a couple weeks ago. But um, had a lot of trespassing this year on that piece. I mean, a ton. Um, I don't know what the deal was with that, but. Man, there was people driving their trucks in and out of their vehicles, cars, fancy cars. I think people were doing drug deals in there. Hmm. I really do. Wow. Like I think that's what they were doing. The deer were extremely edgy. Oh yeah, they weren't even. They were just crazy. You couldn't get away with anything in there. So we're gonna change that next year. Um, actually, gonna um, fence the front end off and put a gate so they can't just drive in and out of there like that. Yep. And. Um, but um, so, and actually going to put some food in there and, you know, actually try to make it a real hunting spot. Yeah. So what do you like about that piece? Top, Just, top access. Yep. Has the top access and it rolls off to the sides and there's just enough bedding and, you know, to have those deer around um, and they can feel pretty secluded in there because the way the field wraps around and then all of a sudden it opens up into the little fingers back there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that, you know, and I feel like you can, we can put some food in there, uh, maybe plant some grasses, you know, some bedding grasses, things like that that could, but it's really only five acres of open ground. So there's, it's not a ton and there's a fair amount of deer in that general area. So I feel like they could hammer any kind of grain we put in there pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely going to have to put some green, like, you know, some clover plots that we can just maintain especially at the, you know anything out of state sometimes it's hard to have a lot of those different kind of plots for me because they're hard to maintain to where clover you can pull in mow it um keep on top of it mostly with just mowing it down or you know doing some spray with the you know clethodim and stuff like that to keep those grasses at bay mm-hmm. um that helps a lot you know especially like some of this big tine seed that we've been using like clover select and foundation clover Man, those plots are lush. Yeah. I mean, they turn out nice and the deer love them. Yep. I mean, and so like this is one thing I've noticed and I was going to talk about this. You know, people oftentimes wonder where to hunt in the late season. And, you know, I just kind of have this rule of thumb that like 
extreme cold snow puts deer on green you know beans or corn mm-hmm. um, and it can be either so I feel like if you're if you have your own dirt and you can put beans and corn beside each other that's the ultimate if you if you're able to do that mm-hmm. um, but either one like on our farms you know like my farmer he'll plant beans on one end corn on the other he alternates them every year so he doesn't want to like literally just go down and put a bean plot at the far end of the farm where I've got corn. He just wants to be able to do it all. And then we just buy back at um, input costs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another little hint. Like if you have land and you're working with a farmer or you lease something, um, try to make a deal where you're buying it at input costs, not market value. Cause you'll, you'll spend way too much money. I think your mic's rocking a little bit for some reason keep like hearing a little rocking sorry about that guys but keep going Ben um, but, so you know anyways it seems like that extreme cold or a lot colder weather with a little bit of snow puts them on the grain mm-hmm. and even in that cold spell though like say you lose some snow they're going to go to green instant like if old clover plots or something like that I just notice it on my cameras constantly mm-hmm. like they go to that green yeah. and um you know, so I feel like it's really important to have those mixtures or to know, like, if you're hunting a place, you may not own it, but you have permission or if it's public land. And, you know, some of these public lands in Ohio, they plant stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, they plant corn, they plant clover plots. You know, there might be mowed gas line right aways or power lines. That's all food for deer, mm-hmm. you know, along with the acorns. Yeah. Um, when I planted that um clover plot which man that thing was beautiful but um i kind of noticed like how deadly that food plot could be all year long oh yeah like 100 you know you the clover goes dormant at some point correct yeah but it was still i put a scrape tree in there um and it was more almost like not only was it a food source but it was almost like and you know it was strategically placed coming out of this finger off the neighbor's and it was great access and you know all that and that was one of the big reasons why i put that plot where i did but i also noticed like with that scrape tree how it was so much more than just a food plot and i i could sound crazy here but it almost seemed more like this communication social hub social gathering yeah social gathering yeah. place for these deer to mm-hmm. before going out in these destination ag um, sources they kind of like to stage up in this clover plot mm-hmm. um, and i don't know if that scrape tree kind of like established that social gathering at some point if that makes sense um i'd say it was more the food than anything mm -hmm. but then once they get started on those mock scrapes you know they take them over and then they just it becomes a target Mm -hmm. you know whenever they come out there they want to go see who else has urinated there who else has you know scraped it you know um that preorbital gland that gets on the licking branch from their eyes and then they chew on it and it's just a communication you know to compare that food plot i guess it was a lot like where your food plot was where you killed tall boy this year coming out of timber first thing they come into is a clover plot and then next thing is a destination soybean ag field or cornfield or whatever whatever that's kind of what i try to like do that a lot if i can give them a little staging green plot yeah and then move it into grain mm-hmm. if possible. Um, I feel like that's just a, it's a killer. Especially like that early, early season, 
on up until like early November, I saw so much daylight activity on that scrape tree and just those deer coming out and staging in that clover field. Like I was like, man, this is, uh, this could be deadly. Yeah. hundred percent. Yep. And, um, you know, so like, I guess that was kind of what a little bit of strategy that I would have been playing hard if I would have been hunting hard this late season, but I really haven't been hunting that hard, honestly, like mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Like I'm just not because I really don't, I just didn't have Intel on any kind of deer that I truly wanted to go after. Um, I'm hoping it pays off because I'm hoping next year I just have so many good deer to chase mm-hmm. that it'll be awesome. Yep. You know, um, that's like what you hope. Yeah. So, well, you can't always kill four giants in 12 No, days. and I, I get it. And so I'm not trying to like be unthankful by any means or I just worry that like when you have a show like this, if you don't have enough of the good content that you can get start putting on the back burner you know because there's so many other good episodes out there there's some good shows out there you know i mean and there's good hunters and you know you got a lot of people killing big deer now and i mean i can remember when you know anybody killing a 160 170 was like dang man Mm -hmm. and now it just doesn't seem and, and i think it's because there's just so much managed dirt and so many people that are you know filming that have a lot of really great dirt and managed dirt that these bigger deer are easier to come by more plentiful i should say and so um you know it's it's like killing 180s and 190s now you know people will take they'll pay attention Mm -hmm. but that 200 is the mark that everybody's striving to see or get to and you know i i just I guess, you know, who doesn't want to shoot a 200-incher? I'd love to hunt a 200-incher again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but I have also can see where that can take away the fun, you know. So just like killing Tallboy, I had higher-scoring deer, but Tallboy this year was a, a cool deer. He was mature. I knew he was a 6-year-old, and something about that deer just flipped my trigger, and I wanted to shoot that deer, and so I hunted that deer. Yeah, he was an awesome deer. I was just trying to pull something up here. Um my buddy uh my buddy toby he scores for buckmasters but i believe i was trying to find it he he tallied everything up this year of what he scored and i think there was like 80 170s that he scored there was 20 200s um it was pretty crazy i can't find the the paper but just a lot of giant deer Mm. Uh, it's kind of cool to look at averaging like over 160. Mm. so i mean there was a lot of big deer uh around (laughs) yeah yeah there is i mean and and it's not all because of the managed dirt but i think a lot of people pass more deer than they used to Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot more serious hunters that are looking for upper end deer and so some do slip to the cracks some do not it's like i've said before if just like in ohio if you would do away with the corn piles here I couldn't imagine yeah. what it would turn into again. With Ohio being a one-buck state. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, the corn piles are the death of a lot of deer that probably wouldn't die normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if you was to take that factor out of it, man, I couldn't imagine what this state would produce again. Yeah, I you agree. Know? And it produces giants now. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And I think, I think I heard Don Higgins even say that he felt Ohio would be like Iowa. Yeah. If, I think I heard him say that too. If there wasn't corn piles. Yep. You yeah. Know, but you can really make a deer do what you want him to so easily with corn that 
um, or bait that it makes it a lot easier for just average guys to be able to to get a deer Mm -hmm. but uh, there is still some serious tactics that with bait that you know can really up a guy's game or can be implemented you know like outfitting we used to have to use corn because you know with all your neighbors baiting and stuff when i was outfitting if you didn't use corn the deer were just on your neighbors yeah so we learned certain ways to do it and i never piled it Mm -hmm. like i just didn't pile corn much um just did a lot of different things and it brought deer it would make bigger deer do things that you know it was pretty dangerous Mm -hmm. um so so what happened in uh, Missouri this year? You hunted Missouri a little bit. Yeah, um, had one really good deer there that had showed up in early December. Again, I don't think he's an old deer, mm-hmm. but I probably would have shot that deer in a sense just because it was so far away. Um, and that farm... He definitely wasn't a three-year-old. Let's no, just I don't get think that. he was three. Yeah. Um, but he was a really solid deer. I don't think I could have passed him. Yeah. Um, but not knowing the deer, never having any picture of, of him before, I felt like he was a satellite deer. So that was a little bit more of my factor why I went out there to try to kill him. Um, but I never did see him. I, I don't even think he was there because mm-hmm. I'd only ever had one picture of him before I went to hunt him. And then the day I was leaving, I hunted five days, I think. You and caught I, awful weather. Yeah, it was bad weather. Um, really kind of got warm and windy and wasn't great and I didn't have no food on that farm whatsoever just acorns in the timber mm-hmm. um, but the deer were still around but he just wasn't there I don't think because I wasn't getting his pictures anywhere and never saw him I saw a lot of does um, and I hunted pretty hard but then the day I was leaving that cotton picker walked by my camera where I had hung a stand that I felt like I really had a high chance of killing him out of and I'd never even had him on that end of the farm that I knew of, mm-hmm. but I'd moved a camera there on a hunch thinking, well, this could be where he was. And then it seemed like when he came back, that's where he was. Yeah. And I was already an hour on the road mm-hmm. checking my Spartans. And I was like, you sucker. Yeah. But it is, I, I think it's meant to be because um, I think he'll be there next year, possibly. Because mm-hmm. I've had a picture, two, three, four of them, I think, since. And even the neighbor did too. Um, so... We think he kind of likes our spot, so maybe he'll stick around. Yeah. I mean, and you invested into that property, um, but drought conditions this summer. Yeah, I we, mean, you guys will see in the video when we put something together, it was just, man, it was brutal out there. We got out there, I think it was like 110 degrees yeah. heat index. It was. Yeah. We, we had, Brandon was trying to put plots in for us, and they just wouldn't grow. Yeah. I mean, just no, no rain. I don't think. And, you know, even Mark Drury was saying that it was a tough year. Yeah, for nothing kind of lived stuff. out there. Yeah. I mean, um, so Chiggers. <laughs> yeah, Dylan got the Chiggers. <laughs> Whoo! Your favorite. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Um, but it looks so, like somebody shot your legs with a shotgun yeah, in your was belly. it was bad, man. Um, but anyway, so, you know, we're getting towards the end of the podcast here, and I just want to get your input. or For anybody that's still sticking it out, you know, I think we've got a lot of Ohio listeners, um, of course, but um, we've got, I don't know, I don't know when exactly it goes out this year, but let's say a little less than a month for anybody sticking it out right now. Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, if it gets cold, 
and you're hunting if you if you're hunting any kind of bait you're probably going to be on deer Mm -hmm. if you're got any kind of food source whatsoever and those that's the where the deer coming you you probably will be in the luck um you know trying to find those times where that moon to me some people believe in the moon some do not i do but like if you can get that rising or falling moon like you know if you can get a a rising moon in the evening, you know, starting at like one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. Those can be magical evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you start getting that falling moon in the morning, I don't hunt a lot of mornings late season, but say you're trying to hunt a bedding area, so to say, if uh, you can slide in the back door of a bedding area on a falling moon an hour, two hours, three hours after daylight, a lot of times you'll catch those deer on their feet back in those bedding areas then. Um, and you can see that rising, falling moon <clears throat> on deer cast. Um, yeah, yeah, it gives you the times right mm-hmm, there. Yep. And you know, um, so you're looking for what was it again for the for the rising? Well, rising or falling, like morning, you want a falling moon. Evening, I look for rising moons within you know that are rising before dark because mm-hmm. um, that gets deer up on their feet. I feel mm-hmm. uh, may not always put them way out in the open. But they're going to be on their feet somewhere, like maybe a transition zone, getting to the food. Or you know, late season's always tougher. Deer are—they've been through every gun season. They've been, you know, um, really pressured, so they're itchy, they're jumpy. You know, like Mm -hmm. a coyote can blow the whole night, Mm -hmm. or just the wrong sound. Yep. So it's uh, it's a tough game to play, um, especially if you're hunting on a tree stand. You know, and you're out in the elements or whatever, but you know, maybe you're in a redneck or some a box blind of some sort that can make that a little bit easier if you got deer coming to a plot. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely good times. Just be um, careful of getting in and out. Like if you can have somebody retrieve you in a pickup or a tractor, that can keep the deer off of off you of figuring out that they're being hunted. Mm-hmm. You know, to where if you're popping out of the blind and busting the deer off the plots and walking through the fields, well, they're and they're not gonna do that long. Yep. Especially this time of year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, you know, those are tactics that I'd be looking to do if I was still after a certain deer, especially in Ohio. Um, you know, like big time is a money maker for somebody still hunting late season and you've never tried big time products, deer feed. Pfft. Yep, it's game over for feed and especially feed. if you're wanting to shoot some deer for meat. You know, you want to fill the freezer yet this year. You still got some doe tags. You want to take some kids or kids from your church, whatever, man. You throw some big tine out there right mm-hmm. now, and them deer are gonna come running. Game down. over. Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit unusual weather. I mean, geez, we got hold, hit with the the coldest weather I think I've ever seen in my life in Ohio during Christmas, and then ever since then it's, it's been yeah. yeah, it's been warm and. I don't know if it's going to get, you know, that bitter cold again before the season closes out. So, yeah. Did um, you see that, uh, speaking of big time, did you see that Joe Humphreys killed a buck with Lindsay's? Uh-uh. Just last that. day or two, or three, two, three days ago. Really nice deer. Nope. I so, didn't congrats, Joe, on your buck, Burley yeah. Joe. Yep. He's on Instagram as Burley Joe. Yeah. He's also have, has a uh, very entertaining TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have TikTok. Yeah. Well, Wait till Edge has a TikTok, but it's on Dylan's phone. Yeah. Uh, Joe's pretty uh, comical on TikTok. But. Did you see where uh, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine just signed a bill that any government or Ohio, I think it's any state-owned or government agency-owned uh, phone, like cell phones that employees have, cannot have TikTok on it? Really? 
Hmm. He signed that into law yesterday, I think it was. Interesting. Because TikTok is tracked by China. Oh, great. Well, it is. I mean, you've never heard that? Uh-uh. To where the intel is tracked by... They, they, they use that intel, but in general, too, because they probably don't want employees spending all that time on TikTok watching those little videos. Yeah, makes but, sense. Uh, TikTok is filled with amazing people that God loves. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can say. But I'm just saying, so like I just thought that was interesting that he just signed that into play because, you know, it's this time of year is tough when it's winter time and it's like not a lot to do. And, you know, I've been doing a little skiing here or there, trying to break my back or my bones. And, you know, um, that was, I'm too old for that crap. Yeah. But I'm learning. So um, one more thing here is notice a lot of deer starting to to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've got pictures of deer. Shit. <clears throat> that big old eight I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. He's been carrying one side for a week and a half. Yeah, what's your what's your thoughts on? I mean, you you hear like if they're super stressed, they drop. Like I've heard that before. Well, I think I think <clears throat> that super cold snap. Mm-hmm. Because it was cold. Yeah. Like, and it was about three, four days of that. I think that did something to them to make them shed earlier this year because then it warmed up. It, like, almost tricked their body Mm -hmm. to where, like, if it would have just stayed colder for a longer period, I don't think that maybe would have happened. I don't know if it has any relation. I could be totally all wet. They probably think June's around the corner at this point. (laughs) But that just seemed like that little bit of a shock did something Mm -hmm. because I noticed right after, like, a week week and a half after that cold snap deer dropping their horns yeah and a lot of my deer hold late mm-hmm. but some drop early but i've got deer in illinois dropping i've got deer in ohio dropping so I, I don't know i don't maybe people can comment or you know maybe they can give us some intel on that yeah why they think maybe or maybe it maybe they're not dropping any earlier than normal but it just always seems like a discussion that comes up every single year of why you know deer dropping or a lot of people take to social media and they're like well you know this is why yeah but i guess too you know you like it's muzzleloader in ohio right now so i guess i i've always known that you got to be careful grabbing antlers Mm -hmm. this time of year so maybe it's just that time Mm -hmm. you know it could be that maybe it's just because we saw that cold spell and then the warm-up and then antlers are dropping we're like oh is that what did it you know Mm -hmm. it may not have anything to do with it typically what has to do with dropping antlers is testosterone Mm -hmm. when deer are done breeding or you know if there's a lot of smelly does still that haven't been bred i've always heard that that keeps deer holding their antlers longer because it keeps their testosterone flowing Hmm. interesting so, you know, because they still may need to compete for breeding and things like that. So uh, I'm no deer biologist. I just try to be a student of what I'm watching, just mm-hmm. like that post I made on Instagram and Facebook. We had a lot of comments on that about, you know, what I've noticed about cold, cold weather. And then, like, where I, when I've noticed the deer move better, like, after that than before it or during it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of good comments. A lot of people agreed, you know. Um, so I just feel like you, you can never stop learning or paying attention to these deer. Yeah, yep. Uh, a couple things coming up here. Um, looks like uh, we might stop at out the ATA for a little bit and uh, possibly NWTF, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the spur booth will be at NWTF. Yep. So we'll be there during February during the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention down there in Nashville. 
we'll be at the ATA this week, uh, a couple days, which we don't have a booth or nothing. We'll just be there meeting with sponsors and whatnot. Um, so Spurs got some a, a brand new line of calls that are getting yeah. Yeah, we used them last year. Uh, very effective calls, very nice quality, good looking calls. Um, so you guys check that out. But um, so hopefully we run into some of you at ATA and NWTF and wish you guys nothing but the best of luck for the rest of the season. And um, hopefully some of Ben's insights here have kind of helped people out and you can put them to good use this late season. Yeah, and I was going to tell everybody too that like uh, Miller's Gun and Supply right now in Sugar Creek got a lot of bows on the shelf. New website. Uh, new website that you can actually order from. Mm -hmm. um, and also want to let people know that their Instagram got deleted because accidentally an ad got run on their Instagram page with prices of guns. Yeah, that's and no warning, just absolutely booted just us deleted, right off. Yeah, just deleted the account instantly. So that stinks for that because, you know, they were getting to a decent amount of followers, but it was just an honest mistake that somebody had made and put it up. Um, but that's that's the battle you play. Yeah, but um, if you want to stick it to the gram, we're going to make a new uh, Instagram for Miller's. If you want to stick it to the gram, you guys can go over there and support them and follow them, even if, you know, it's just, geez, it comes down to simple rights um, yeah, that, are, that are being evoked here. Just so. because somebody had a price tag. On a, on, it was literally a picture of, like, an ad you would get in a mailbox mm -hmm. uh, that had a price underneath a gun. So uh, that's unfortunate, but uh, we would really appreciate your guys' support there. And like I said, it can Miller's has always been like a local thing to you, a uh, local shop for, oh, yeah, for you, Ben. But now that they've got a website, I think now people across this country can reap the benefits of dealing with uh, an independent dealer like Miller's and, you know, the customer service there. And those guys know bows. And Yeah, but I mean, even for somebody that's looking for a good bow tech, the drive is worth it. Oh, yeah. Anybody in Ohio, like, the drive 100% is worth There's it. a lot of people from PA and West Virginia that come up here now just really? for the bow shop because mm -hmm. um, they want that good archery tech, you know, come up, spend a few days in Amish country, bring your wife, stay at the hotels around there, yeah. visit Amish country, um, and you can go there, and there's just a lot to do in that general neighborhood. It's and, always popping. Oh, yeah. It's it becomes a nightmare to get through there mm -hmm. sometimes through Berlin and yeah but there's so, there's a ton to do there I mean yeah, there is great yeah. food but uh anyway guys really appreciate you guys listening to the Whitetail Edge podcast uh God bless you God bless <laughs>